Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. March, tell us, how did you start your podcast? That's actually a really fun story because it was blended in with my education as someone who was moving towards looking at their writing from a professional perspective. So here in the Seattle area, we have this wonderful nonprofit called Artist Trust. And they have a professional development program. And then if they accept you, you do the seven-week program. And in it, they talked a lot about the realities of the writing life and the idea that sometimes there's a lot of different things in your life that you're doing that are part of that writing life. And they also talked about then you have to manage your time. So if you're going to choose a project and it only serves you in one way, you may choose a different project that serves you in three or four ways instead. I'm lucky to live on this incredible island with one of the best community radio stations in the country. And I had a couple of ideas for radio shows, but they had always just served one purpose. And I wanted to do a really good professional job. And I wasn't sure it was worth the energy and investment for just one benefit. During the professional development program, I realized this idea I had could actually serve about five different great, valuable benefits. And I thought, oh, that's worth the investment of time and energy. And so that is how Prose, Poetry, and Purpose came about. My gosh, I love this so much. So I taught mass comm for quite a while. And the idea that writers have to promote themselves without the experience of a background in communications, it really feels like you are filling a much needed piece of the book marketing world. I'm trying to. I definitely do appreciate that. The way I look at my show is that primarily I'm there to serve my guest authors and my audience. Historically, I was interviewed a few times by some different media organizations in the world on a completely different topic. And I was disappointed to discover that oftentimes a journalist knows the story they want to write, and they're just trying to find a person who helps them prove their point. For me, number one ethic was I would never, ever air a show if I had a guest author that had the slightest concern about anything in that show. Otherwise, I think I'm really lucky that my show is pre-recorded and edited. What can be better than telling someone literally the dog can bark, the husband can come walking in. It doesn't matter because I'm going to edit it out. I've had people come up to me and compliment me on the show. And the first thing I say is my guest authors make me look really good. And it's true. They do. And I think that I lucked into that. It just happened. And later I was like, oh, I am so much more relaxed because this is so not about me. When we go back to our early podcast, we're like, Wah! <laughs> because it yeah. just took us a while just to realize that it's all okay. Even if it's awful, it's okay. But I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. Mm. I talk often about you guys. Uh, Sometimes oh. I'll bring you up in the show or on Twitter well, or whatever. Thank you. thank you. Of course. Well, I love what you guys do. Seriously. You've made a tremendous difference for me as I'm you know, able to, now that my kids are old enough and I can step into my career a little bit more as front and center. You guys were just perfectly placed in my life last winter when I discovered you. And the podcast being free is brilliant because a person gets to 
check it out. And then they go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And they're like, okay, when can I go ahead and set myself up for that monthly fee and join properly? I think what we're all doing here is just lifting writers. Like we want the best writers. You want the best writers. So let's go back to that. Yeah. How do you help writers talk about their work? Well, okay. Ways? So luckily sometimes a writer shows up and they really know what it is that they want to talk about, but that doesn't always happen. Can you think of some tips for them? Yes. Yes, I can. Okay. You know that I of fake it till you make it. I think a lot of writers are really familiar with that because that's what you've been doing all these years up until finally some agent really connected with your work. So one of those things you can just do is actually give yourself permission to tell yourself, I'm good at this. I'm going to do great. Like what if they love my query? I'm going to nail my goals today. I am so totally going to make my deadline. Like I have these little stickers around my room that I just see all the time. And so I think that if you just give yourself permission to believe in yourself at the beginning, that actually makes a huge difference. Anxiety is something we bring with us. It's something we've told ourselves is justified. There's a reason it's there because we're flawed. We're going to make a mistake, but it's an internal monologue. And so you just switch that up. And I learned this when I taught ballroom dancing. The thing is, when I did ballroom dancing, I was very young. So I was 19 and suddenly I was hired to teach all these people, people who are in their 40s and 50s, tons of money, successful, whatever. And I'm a 19-year-old college student. And I just had to tell myself, I can do this. I'm good enough. There's a couple other things that are probably really important. And I do actually help people with this if they want help. A couple of the other things that are really important actually are, let's see here. Let's say you've been invited onto a show. Listen to the show a couple of times in advance. Get a sense of how that person interviews, how they behave, things like that. And if there's any risk, if you're writing something that could be potentially contentious or politicized, just know in advance that if someone else has gotten your permission to videotape you or whatever and share it forward and you end up saying something and you're not happy with how it comes out, you can be stuck. So you do want to actually be thoughtful about who's interviewing, what are their goals? What do they want from you? And I know that sounds a little bit negative, but if you have a political issue that you're writing about a nonfiction book or something, just be aware because there are people who will take advantage of you. Otherwise, have fun, plan to enjoy yourself. Once again, that internal monologue, I am here to have a good time. Don't feel imposter syndrome. Toss that out the window. You're not an imposter. You're there because you're meant to be there. There's a valid reason for you to be there. So believe in yourself. I think it's okay to say because I can edit that out. So that's not a problem. However, if you're a person who says every ninth word or fifth word, practice not doing that so much. Okay. So you've got some notes on what to do in a live interview. You don't trust your interviewer or Mm -hmm. if it's a bad interview and bad questions. Yes, that's a great question. When someone asks you a question that you're not super comfortable with, you absolutely have both the right and the ability to smoothly restate the question in a way that works for you. That's a superpower for someone who maybe is lucky enough to actually have multiple interviews coming their way. And so it can be useful to prepare if you're going to have a three-week promotion series. You've got this time period coming up with a lot of interviews, just do prepare a little bit what you might want to have come up in the interview. And then if a question comes at you that's squirrely weird or you're not sure what to do with, 
you can reframe it a little bit and just nudge it towards where you want to go. Also saying that's an excellent question is like what the really good guest interviewees say a lot of times. And it's just brilliant. I love it. I'll be like, da, 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 da. and they'll go, oh, Marge, that's a great question. And I go, I think you oh, did that to us as we I started did. You just did. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> And they do that. And when they say that, they're reclaiming the stage. So if I ask the question and I end with that question mark and they answer, that's obligatory answer. If I ask the question and then they go, that's a really good question. They've now claimed the control of the conversation again, and they now get to start the answer as they want it to be. These are subtle things, but they're actually very powerful tools and worth knowing about. Could you give us an example of that kind of pivot? The way that someone asks you a question you don't like, you try to get it to one of your talking points. Are there steps involved? I think that's more of an instinct thing. When I've worked with people who were dealing with things could be politicized and they wanted to protect themselves in case it went a weird direction. It was really more a matter of knowing what the points were that you wanted to cover and having them in the side of your mind, not the forefront because that's too distracting and not too far in the back, but really sort of available so that when a question came at you and you weren't quite sure about what to do with it, That's a really great question. And that brings to mind for me, this one issue, it's those types of things. So imagine literally stand in front of your mirror and have eight questions that you never want someone to ask you ever, and then say them out loud and then practice how you're going to pivot. Just practice half an hour practice will actually make a massive difference for the rest of your life. I love that. So like, hey, Jessica, is it true you burned down your office? That's a great question. So that reminds me of my 10-point plan for how not to blow up your office. (laughs) Everyone should be really safe. Do not microwave foil with lasagna inside. I think what you're saying here is that we all have power for our words, and sometimes we misspeak, or things come out wrong, and as you're saying it, the anxiety can come up, and then you can start to spiral. Often when you're being interviewed, in a job situation or in a, a dating situation. <laughs> Do people interview in dating situations? I don't know. It feels like it but, sometimes. You know, it, right. And then you overtalk. Like I'm an overtalker. Obviously I overtalk because <laughs> I just overtalked. But once you really build those tools into your toolbox, then it can change everything. It can change an interview on a podcast. It can change a live event. It can change many things in your life. And I don't think as writers, we talk often about the business side of writing. And that's what's so fascinating to me about this. The writing is hard. Getting agents hard. Getting published is hard. But you know what? This is hard too. You're absolutely correct. And for example, even though I'm in service to my guest authors and to my audience, I'm also doing this because it helps to develop my platform in a way that I want to be developing my platform. I'll be going on a one-week retreat and then I land in California again to help my aunt and uncle out. And at that one week, that's when I'm going to be sending out all the query letters for my novel, The Ghost Lords. And what's really great is I've got several authors who have been on my show who are more than willing. They've said, yes, when your book is coming out and you want someone to read it and then make a blurb, they can go on the back cover or whatever. I'll be that person. So it's this thing that I did eight years ago, knowing that when I got to my empty nester moment in my life and I didn't have to keep putting the book on the back burner constantly because I always prioritize my kids' farm family, that I would have not just this book, 
but also this community had started growing. And what you mentioned to me, it caught my mind. People need to give themselves permission to take the pause. The best interviewees are the ones who are so relaxed and comfortable that they give themselves permission to pause before they respond. And that's key because I think what you were talking about, Julie, about how you can start to spiral, that happens more. But you can't misquote a pause. What's someone going to do with a pause that's nefarious, right? So it's much better than giving the wrong answer. Sure. Or just getting more stressed out. Yeah. That pause is you claiming your power once again in this really beautiful way. It's not power over anybody else. It's holding your own position of power and power in a good way, not an aggressive way, but this solidity way. Yeah. Almost a stage presence way. Yes. Thank you. Tell us your favorite story of your podcast, your favorite guest, something great that happened. Tell us your favorite. Or if you don't believe in favorites, some you really like. Oh, goodness gracious. Guys, it's been seven years. Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. I had a brilliant time in my interview with Julie Murphy. She has Puddin and Dumplin' and Pumpkin and other books as well. It was one of the most beautiful experiences being on the interview with her. The calm, centered, groundedness. She just was able to be so eloquent because you could tell she wasn't rushing anything or forcing herself. I was blissed out during that interview. That was amazing. Garth Stein, I've interviewed him twice over the past few years. He lives in the area. We know each other through other things. And I love interviewing him because he does a lot of these things that I notice as being so effective. Just a joy to interview. But I probably would say my favorite was actually an in-person interview with Roger Fernandez. He also lives in the local area, which means he was able to come out. I live on an island, so he had to hop a ferry and come on over. And the reason he wanted to be here is because he is a Native American storyteller. And I first encountered him actually as a CD, the kids and I would listen to just these amazing stories. And we loved them so much. And then to my delight and joy, he had been brought out to the island by another group to actually tell stories in one of our community buildings in town. And so I went up to him afterwards and said, Hey, do you want to be on my show? And he's sure. And I said, do you really want to come over to the island again? Do you want to do it over the phone? And he said, no, I definitely want to come over to the island. Okay, great. So when he came over, I asked him about why that had been important to him. And he's talked about the importance of sharing breath. I know in the middle of the pandemic, I'm mentioning this, but sharing breath in a room together. And he's so also deeply grounded and amazing. So if people go to marchtwisdale.com and scroll down on the front home page, you'll see pictures of all my guest authors. And he was a number of years ago, so you got to keep scrolling. But it was really so lovely to be in that interview once again with someone who recognized the value of voice and breath in a shared space with another person. But those are just a few stories. Every single person who joins me on the show delights me in one way or another. How do you find your guests? That is an excellent question. Okay, so this could be useful for a lot of different people. If you are that person who is doing a show like this, and maybe you're hesitant to reach out to someone, don't hesitate. 
go for it. The worst will happen is they'll say no. I've had two people say no to me. It depends in so many different ways. If you catch my attention, suddenly I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Oh my gosh. Boom, boom. And the next thing you know, I'm emailing them saying, I want to have you on the show. I mean, prose poetry and purpose is focused on authors who seek to inspire positive social change in the world, one reader and one listener at a time. So there are poets out there and there are nonfiction writers and fantasy writers, There's everything out there. If you have persevered enough to get your book published, you usually have a message you're trying to get across. And I want to hear it and bring it to my audience. So I just email them. Can writers pitch podcasts as well? And if they're going to, do you have tips for how they should do that? Hi, nice to meet you. My book is awesome. I won't yell. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, a person can pitch a podcast, in my opinion, because once again, worse it'll happen is they'll say no. I did not pitch you guys. You approached me. I was like, this is so much fun. I got to do the whole experience from the other perspective. So it made me realize that I would naturally be a little bit inhibited about pitching myself initially because you don't want the other person to feel bad if they have to say no. So it was really a delight and a lot of fun to have you guys invite me onto the show. So then I thought, wow, maybe my guest authors feel excited when I invite them as well. So I really appreciate being on the opposite side of the table. And you guys did that for me. So thank you very much. I think it's so interesting for us because we're always saying, what's your platform? (laughs) People are like, oh, I hate Twitter. I hate being on social media. I know I need to do it. I only have a couple hundred. And you have found a passion and built a platform, but you're also a writer. You're also a mom. So can you talk to us about really doing it all with obviously a limited time and energy that we all have to do all the things we're going to do in a day? Absolutely. And I have to say, I was laughing at myself because at about 11, you know, 58, when I'd logged in, I got myself all set up. I looked down and went, oh, I should sweep. It was like sweeping. (laughs) And I'm sitting there going, this is how you get it all done. (laughs) Isn't that the most ridiculous thing about how we're all working? It's like you're cooking and then you're I got a podcast and then a minute later you're podcasting. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I just turned 49. And so I started thinking about my novel series 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago. And there's this idea of you can have it all very much like my mother's generation was the women's lib generation. You can have it all. And it was, what was that quality time versus quantity time? And just all these things that we grapple with in life. And I decided that I was going to go with the idea that maybe if you're going to try to have it all, you're just not going to do it all at the same time. I'm a homeschooling mom. I have a farm. I'm very focused on my community. And I gave just so much of myself for free for the last 20 years. And I had some jobs on the side as well. So I knew I wasn't willing to give up on those things in order to put the focus into writing that book over the next two or three year window. And it was my back burner project. But I knew that I was never going to be an empty nester because as soon as that moment came, I'd have this project to pull forward to the front burner. I very conscientiously as a mother made that decision to set myself up that way. I chose patience on the writing side. And I actually feel that the book is so different after 10 years of marinating and being added to that it's a completely different story than it would have been if I had sat down and pushed it out in three years way back when. So 
for me, this was an option. It's what I chose to do. It was an example of time management across the decades, I guess. Currently, I have to say these suckers, my Bose headset. Oh my gosh. I am so happy because when I'm cooking, I'm listening to you guys, or I'm listening to a book that I'm going to interview the author next week. If I go for a walk, I'm listening to you guys. It's the same thing. If your hands are busy and your mind is free, I have something going into my head. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Some people talk about listening to us while they're walking around their neighborhood and send pictures on Twitter. One person listens while mountain biking. I really hope she's still okay. That's crazy. But I do think when you're immersed in the world and you're surrounding yourself by artists where it's like that energy is so addictive and it doesn't matter how you're in it as long as you're touching it. So I'm so excited for your book. I'm so excited for your writing journey too. Can you talk to us about holding creativity for yourself now that you're the empty nester and that you're starting to claim that time again? First, back when the kids were around was like every year we went on a camping trip and I would tell my husband, I'm going to leave for a few hours in the middle of the day and go down to the coffee shop and I would write. I have three boxes full of notebooks of me just writing every chance I got. And so it was really interesting having to hold that artistic space in my life. I had to intentionally claim it or it didn't happen. We have a timeshare. Woe is me. Anyone in the world listening to this, don't ever buy a timeshare. We have a timeshare we are cursed with till we die. And so I turned it into my every other year writing retreat. When the kids got old enough, I felt I could leave them home with my husband. He's working full-time, so they had to be self-sufficient to a degree. And I would just take the train and the bus up to Whistler, Canada and spend a week alone. And I did that every other year. Like literally, there's this idea of, oh, you just write for half an hour every day. I'm sorry, for me, that wasn't working, but I could do a week every other year. So it's like, for me, I had to hold that space intentionally as much as I could. Now... It's been really interesting noticing the habits I developed over the years. If there's something going on with one of my kids, even though they're adults, it has the potential to derail me. And suddenly I can't be creative unless I feel like everyone I love in my family is safe and things are okay. That's my kryptonite. So my kryptonite is I get up in the morning and something doesn't go well And I'm like, oh no, you know, I have a whole day open. I was going to do two chapters of revision. And now how do I get into that space? So I'm retraining myself a little bit right now to create new habits. I think we might be twins. I'm going to do our genealogy because I'm looking at March and I I just raised my hand because I was like, yes, I like, I totally understand those things. And then I think we look like. Yeah. (laughs) We might be long lost sisters because I think that it's so interesting. What what are the things that come before and how you put yourself last and how to put yourself in the space? And I don't think there's a right answer. Mm. I think it's like what feels good in the moment. Yeah. How about you, Jessica? Do you have pearls of wisdom you can throw my way and help me in my journey? I was just thinking about this concept I heard online that's been echoed a few times that the next generation of feminism will be about doing less. And I think that's a really interesting idea because right now I feel like there are so many people just running around sprinting as fast as they can to try to stay in the same place. And there's the life lap movement in Beijing where it's just a bunch of millennials like, okay, I could do that forever or 
the planet's going to melt in 30 years. Maybe I won't. Maybe I will do what I'm actually interested in. And work-wise, I will do what gets me by. And enough that nothing Mm -hmm. catastrophic happens, but not so much that I'm trying to overachieve in every little thing, which we are now. June Cleaver put a pot roast in the oven and it was fine. But now it's like, oh, but Martha Stewart has this other plan that takes eight hours. (laughs) We're trying to exceed at every little thing is exhausting. I have believed that less is more for a very long time. That's been one of my primary mantras. And it's mathematically true. If I do less in my day, I spend more time on each of those things that I am doing. Like it's not just a little fun quote thingy. I used to sit there and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to reorganize my life and figure it all out. And I would say, what are the things that I have to do that I'm not willing to let go of? Add them up. And then I'd say, okay, how much time does it realistically take? But boom. Oh, 29 hours a day. That's a problem. (laughs) Right? Literally. So uh, yeah, somehow we have to do less and revel in it. Yeah. Time for space makes things for sure. And that's the idea. When you meditate every day, if you take the 20 minutes to meditate, you somehow find more time within the day. And I don't know, know why that is. But for me, when I meditate, I have time for everything. When I wake up and I'm like a chick with my head cut off, I don't have time for everything. Yeah, It's fascinating. And I feel like we could go on on this forever. I know. We hear over and over again about being an introvert in this world. First, are you an introvert or extrovert? Where do you find yourself on that? And then with the introverts, can you give us some tips when it comes to reaching out to other writers, reaching out to podcasters, just reaching out to create new things in this world? That's a really good question. So here's the interesting thing I found is that I always thought of myself as an extrovert because of how I would behave with other people. But I've also realized, and I started discovering this with those trips up to Whistler, I am blissed out when I'm alone. So I don't know if I'm an introvert or an extrovert. I have fantasies of living alone in the desert for the last three decades of my life and seeing people twice a year. And yet when I'm around people, I do gain energy from that, which is, I think that classic idea of introvert, you get exhausted if you're around people over time and extroverts gain. So I don't know what I am. However, for people who, let's see, let's look at what you're really maybe saying with the word introvert, because some people who are introverts and they've spent a few days alone and built up their energy can be very comfortable in a social situation, presenting themselves and putting themselves forward. They just know that the next day they need to recover. So are you actually more asking the question of how can a person gain confidence in presenting themselves? I think I love both. I actually want to hear the answer to that. But we also hear a lot from people. I don't know how to approach someone to join a writing group. I don't know how to find that critique partner. I have this book. I don't know how to approach people for marketing. So I think it's both. Okay, I can totally go with that. Basically, get comfortable with getting a no answer and decide that it's totally the worst that will happen and it's no big deal. I think that is a huge piece on all of those fronts because I was visualizing myself being in those situations. I have to just sort of pick up and, oh, some person who's currently a best-selling author and is obviously super busy and I'm just going to out of the blue cold email them and invite them onto the show. And that doesn't even bother me. But in the very beginning, I think I was a little bit more anxious and I wasn't maybe aiming quite as high initially, but My confidence has grown with practice. And let's see, I could imagine querying. If anything, you think writers are actually really well prepared 
prepared to do this because every time you send a query letter, you are at a 95% chance or greater of getting a no, right? Type of a thing. And yet they do it anyways. So maybe the deepest answer to all those different situations, whether it's asking someone to be a critique partner or asking if you can join a group, is how do you make it comfortable to let them know you're okay with a no answer? Because sometimes we don't want to make them uncomfortable, especially imagine a writing group. You're like, oh gosh, what if they like say yes, because they think they have to, and they really wish I wasn't there and, and all this weirdness. So I just recently sent something to someone, can't remember who or what the context was, but at the end of it, I said, hey, because it was an ask. I said, I am really good with a no answer. Please, if you don't want to do this, don't. But if you're interested, this is my idea. I say it out loud because for years, I've been the person who's willing to just ask. And my husband, he used to freak out because I would like ask the family, huge Mexican family in California. I'd say, hey, does everybody want to do this? And he'd be like, no, they're going to say yes because they think they have to. And I'm like, who on earth would do that? And he's like, my family. So I started going, I have this idea, but if y'all don't want to do it, I'm good with that. Please say no. But I don't want to not put the idea out because somehow I'm worried you're going to feel like you have to say yes. So that's another thing too, maybe with the more personal things is, hey, I'm interested. You sound great. I know you might be busy. If you don't have time, I'm okay with that. But I wanted to throw this out there. Those types of caveats could be really useful. And for all you know, someone said no to an interview because they were afraid or nervous, or they just had one go badly. Can you talk about the kinds of training people can do so that they're ready for these moments? You can call me up. I was approached by a friend who was helping someone self-publish a book. I think he invested like $60,000 and it was at the beginning of 2020. So they hit the pandemic and it was just insane. But she called me up because she really believed in the message of his book. But the truth was he could not present himself in a way that was appealing to a listener in any situation. Great guy, super sweet guy, massive fail on presentation. And she called me up and she begged me to help him. And I said, I'm willing to do this, but I have a fee. She's like, he's willing to pay, no problem. And I was like, okay. And it was amazing. I got on the call with him and like within 15 minutes in my mind, I knew all the things we needed to work on, but I was like, okay, I'm going to give them the top two. And you think about that and call me back in four days. And each time he'd call in and give one or two things. Because if you're only focused on one or two things, you're going to do really good. And I worked with him for 10 weeks, once a week. And at the end of it, it was night and day. And then I had him on the show. And there's a lot of basic things we've already talked about, which is just practice, know what it is that you'd like to have come out of the interview, be okay taking the pause, tell people it's a great question. And it brings to mind this, have your segues. Yeah. There was a wonderful moment in your interview with Sarah Van Gelder. She's one of the Mm -hmm. creators of Yes Magazine. And Mm -hmm. the two of you talk about how environmentalists and farmers really can and should work together, but often don't when it comes to policymaking. And I thought it was such an interesting way to think about how there are all these potential openings for collaboration in our world, and a lot of the time we don't take them. Can you talk a little more about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I just saw the movie RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the documentary. Everyone should just go watch that because that was what she did. She found a way to come to the table. And what was it? Her mother always told her to, I think it was be a lady. And what that meant was don't lose your temper because it drives people away. Bring them to the table and see how you can progress forward in that way. I feel like the antidote to polarization is to be curious about the other person's perspective. And if you're curious, you're going to be naturally interested. And then you're going to learn things from them that will naturally shape your own view because you didn't know that before. And because you're curious and they're telling you something and you actually care, they now in a way feel closer to you. They feel they can trust you a little bit more. And I think curiosity as a route to people trusting one another and then being able to exchange information and naturally without, okay, when am I going to be willing to give up and what can I get them to give up? Instead, (laughs) you get this authenticity, you get this natural shift that occurs. And I think that's authentic. So probably develop your curiosity and listen to other people more. I love it. March, thank you so much. Where can we find you you online? My name is March Twisdale. And so you can go to marchtwisdale.com and pretty much that's me and everything's there. The homepage or the podcast page will get you to my podcast. And I'm going to be starting doing some book reviews as well. March, when you get your book published, and I'm sure that you will, we'd like to invite you back on to talk about your work and really turn the tables on the interviewer around (laughs) fiction. So promise us that you'll do that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I will get published because of all the help I've gotten from you guys. You're amazing. Thank you for putting the time into this beautiful thing you've created. The Manuscript Academy is my number one recommend to people right, left, and otherwise. And so you guys are awesome. Thanks, Thanks, March. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.